Thanks. <laughs>
And I had no idea. And when we were talking about having this panel and, and asking our friends, our brothers and sisters of color, to speak last week, I thought, you know, it's like there's a sepsis that's been in our country and in our church, and, and we haven't – it's there. It's like, you know, but we haven't noticed it. And, and, and that sepsis in our bloodstream has been trying to kill us. And, um, I mean, at the end of this service, we're going to celebrate communion. We're going to say that we are one body because Jesus gave his body. And we are one blood because Jesus gave his blood. We are of the same racial root. Remember Adam and Eve. And I just, my sense, when I was sitting there, I thought, we have got to let this part of the body speak because we failed to do it. You can say everything we've done and blah, 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 we failed to do it. And so that was one way for us to say, we want to hear your voices. And that cannot be the last. I had a lot of feelings last week. Uh, Jane and I were driving back from Pennsylvania, so we listened to the short three-hour service last week in the car. What we got that they didn't get up here were bathroom breaks. So thank the Lord for that. Um, I had Holy Spirit tingles. I had shock. I had terror. I had a fence that I got to realize was there, and the Holy Spirit got to show me what that's about. I, I, had, I felt such pride. I think I'm allowed to say that as a spiritual father in those that had gathered. I had tears, sadness, and lots of hearty amens, especially when Oscar started preaching. <laughs> and I said to Oscar in the L- I'm out in you, Oscar. I said to Oscar in the elder meeting this last Tuesday, I said, Oscar, we saw something that I knew was in you all these years, and it came out. And I said, I'm going to ask you to speak sometime, and I'm just going to, I'm going to do my Oscar Im- Im- imitation. Ready? Oscar said, <clears throat> you just pray long and hard about that. <laughs> yep. And I did, and you're up next week. Um, many of us in the majority weep, and I hope that where we don't weep with what's going on in our country, where we don't weep with our uh, African-American and brothers and sisters of other nations, races, colors, where we don't weep, I pray that we weep about our inability to weep. Because it, we, we just got to it, – it's different. I hope it's different. I've talked to a lot of friends in the African-American community, and I say, it feels different to me. Does it feel different to you? And some say yes, and some say no. And I just have to recognize that it's a prayer that it will be different. Phil Strout, our national director of the Vineyard, uh, I'll quote a letter he sent out to the whole um, association of churches. To acknowledge racism is one thing. To be anti-racist is another. Systemic racism is present. It's evil, anti-human, and unacceptable in any form. And I believe that here at this family of Jesus followers at the Vineyard, that every single race and color we're called to listen, to understand, to cultivate empathy. You know, empathy, not pity. Not I feel for you. Empathy, I feel with you. I don't know how to feel, but you feel so I will feel too. Hopefully we have the grace to unlearn, to relearn, to honor one another and to live Radically, by the only law that Jesus ever really made any big deal about, the law of love. He said, there's a whole new law, and this is it. Love one another as I have loved you, period, done. Just do that until I come back. So I can quote Jesus and say, that's what we want to be all about. Whatever that means and however that feels, and it will not be comfortable. We're a kingdom people, and we want the kingdom of God to come on earth as it is in heaven, which means every tribe and tongue and people and nation are worshiping the one true king, and it's one voice, it's one body, it's one blood, and one king that gets to be worshiped. I read something from Pastor Tony Evans. Um, I, I listen to him in the car sometimes. I cannot imitate Pastor Tony Evans. His voice takes 40 years of preaching to do that. 
But this is what he said, and it's, a, it's long, so just, but I want you to hear it. He speaks to the unity of our reality of oneness in Christ, which is what I want to talk about today, but also the underlying cause of division. And it was said, well, he says, we are all from the same root racially. God's agenda for us is that we live in unity with one another, both in the kingdom and in the culture at large. But when God's truth is given to sinful men and women, we distort it. That is true in the area of race relations, which has led to the suppression of some races by other races who believe themselves superior. Long quote, I'll tell you when it's over. Racism is the discrimination of people based on skin color or ethnic origin. It involves the unrighteous use of power against people toward whom we harbor prejudice, which is the emotional foundation of discrimination. Racism is equally unrighteous, whether practiced by whites toward blacks, blacks toward Hispanics, Hispanics toward Asians, or any other combination thereof. It's an affront to the character of God. And his answer, his answer to racism is never racism in return. Like a cancer, the problem of racism has metastasized and invaded the very structures of American life, making the source almost impossible to trace and deal with. Every attempt to address this evil leads to the frustration of seeing it pop up somewhere else. Countless workshops, seminars, and symposia have not led to a cure for this cultural cancer. He asks the question, why has this evil been so difficult to eradicate? He says, because racism is not first and foremost a skin problem. It's a sin problem. Now, you know, I got to like that is the way that works. And because it's true. Racism is not first and foremost a skin problem. It's a sin problem. When you believe that racism is a skin problem, you can take 300 years of slavery, court decisions, marches, and federal government involvement and still not get it fixed right. But once you admit that racism is a sin problem, see, skin is on the outside, sin is on the inside. It's a heart issue. Once you identify and agree that racism is a sin problem, you're obligated as a believer to deal with it right away. As long as the issue of race is social and not spiritual, it will never be dealt with in any ultimate sense. And I'll close with this quote. He says this, Biblical racial reconciliation may be defined as addressing the sin that caused the divide for the purpose of bonding together across racial lines based on a shared commitment to Jesus Christ with the goal of service to others. It's in Tony Evans' book, Oneness Embraced. And he ends at least that section of the book with this verse from 1 John 2. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. And he just, I think he hits it for me. He hits it. I'm a pastor. I deal with spiritual things. But spiritual things always have practical, personal, local um, uh, ramifications, whether for good or for ill. So I started the, this message with a truth. We need God. And I want to give you another truth. And that is this. Hear the good news. We have God. Right? I mean, in all the, the sorrow and the angst and the crying out, we need God. We need God. I don't want us to forget we have God. I mean, Jesus broke the ultimate barrier of division. He descended from heaven, took on the form of flesh, became man, and then lived in utter humility, where he was the one to have the right to assert right. He chose not to do it. He, he gave it away. He emptied himself for our sake. And because of that, we have him. He's in us doesn't make all of our views perfect. It doesn't make our politics perfect. It, you know, what it does is it, it, it makes our heart and our relationship with him perfect in the ultimate sense. And our calling as individual believers, certainly as this body of believers here at the Vineyard, is to walk out that radical oneness that Jesus has bought for us. I mean, the truth 
that Jesus has made us one. That's what I want to talk about today. The one who united us to God can and will unite us with one another if we turn to him with open, honest, repentant, and whole hearts. I just want to put an exclamation point on uh, some, the action. One thing we can do now is pray. So sign up at 24-7. I signed up. No, I'm not, I'm not a big shame guy, all right? But I signed up this week to have two prayer slots, and I didn't see you there. So sign up. Go to 24-7. Take an hour. Take an hour, the same hour every day, and just spend time before God. One God and Father of us all. That's where we're getting to in Ephesians later on, like two hours from now. One God or God and Father of us all. I want you to go before that one God and Father of us all and say, as Oscar quoted Jesus last week, Lord, make us one. He said, make them one, Father, as you and I are one. We've done a racial reconciliation class in the past. We've actually done it twice in the last couple of years. We're going to do it again. We're working on that now. Um, it will be bigger than it has been in the past. It will be bigger than it has in the past because people are prompted. And I'm just going to ask you right now in preparation sometime this summer when that happens, make a commitment, plan to be there, figure out a way to make it work. Be prepared, no matter what race, origin, color, wherever you come from, to allow yourself to be uncomfortable. People in the minority in our country have been uncomfortable for 400 years. So let's be willing to be uncomfortable. Today, we can consider personally how we respond to the reality of our oneness in Christ. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, you are the one that has established our unity. And you've called us to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And we confess we don't really know how to do it. But I ask you, Spirit of God, to come, descend upon us, rise up within us, baptize us again in our understanding of the reality of our oneness, So that we can give away biblical union and love to the world. And I ask, Lord, just in these next few minutes as I speak, I ask that you'd um, allow my words to be pure, to be true. I ask, God, that you would open our hearts, even where we're afraid, to hear things that are difficult. Because, God, you know our heart. You know all things. And when our heart is with your heart, we're safe. In Jesus' name, amen. We are one in Christ. That is a biblical reality. That's not like a good slogan. It's a fine slogan. But it's not just a slogan. It's a reality for those who belong to Jesus. Because Jesus made it so. The scriptures declare it. We're called and empowered by the Holy Spirit to live out biblical oneness, unity. And to do it practically, to do it boldly, and to do it personally. And... I was going to read a big, long quote from Eugene Peterson because I love him, but I'll just cut to the chase. Eugene Peterson, in his book, The Way of Jesus, he basically says, you know, we as Christians, Western Christians especially, can get really caught up in the big and the theoretical. And what he says is Jesus never loved people in a large theoretical way. He always did it practically, locally, and personally. I mean, Jesus loved you in flesh. He embodied love for us. You know, Jesus lived a life in a body like we live a life in a body. He, he had a body. He, he sort of glorified the body by saying, I'm going to take that one on. 
and I'm going to show you what it looks like to live in perfect communion with the Father in a body in the world. And he did it, I think, embodied so that we could actually go out and do it embodied. If Jesus had come and just spirit and just kind of spirited his way around and did pixie dust here and there and then said, do as I do, we'd be like, uh, busted. Right? We can't do it. But he said, no, do it the way I do it. And then he takes up his cross and he walks the hill and he puts out his arms and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't have any idea what they're doing. And then we become his and we become one. So I'm not speaking to the world today. I'm not speaking to the state today. I'm not speaking to the society or the culture. I'm speaking to you, the Indy Vineyard. I'm called to be your pastor. I'm called to help to lead you. I'm called to challenge you. I'm called to sometimes offend you and then exhort and challenge you. And I'm called to do all that looking at my own heart at the same time. So I want to speak the truth today to our church. We are one in Christ. We are one. The question is the extent to which we live out our biblical oneness. Whether you feel it, see it, experience it, believe it, it's still true. When Jesus looks down, he sees one bride. He doesn't see a black bride, a white bride, a Latino bride, an Asian bride. He sees one bride. That's what he sees. That's who we are. We've got to deal with that. We've got to recognize that our lenses are a little foggy through a couple hundred years of learning. And we need to be willing to unlearn. This could have just been the Sunday that some of us begin to gather again, you know, face to masked face and do our awkward like, hey, oh, you know, sort of social distance dance. You know, nobody knows what to do. But it's also a cultural and societal moment, right? I pray it's a turning point. I pray it's a turning point. I hope it's more than just a regathering of believers. I hope it's a Sunday of deep and personal uh, openness of heart and reflection. I hope it's deeper, more honest, more empathetic, more human, and more deeply Christ-like gathering of believers. I hope we're not coming back the same way we left. I mean, I know we all want to come back to things as normal, but I think at this point most of us are realizing, no, we don't. We want to come back and be changed. We want to come back different. We want hearts that are more open. We want spirits that are more pure before God and and more filled with the Holy Spirit and empowered with more practical, personal, local love to give away to the world. So I hope we're coming back with a recognition that it's not only pandemics that divide and separate. That separation and division are not new. And I hope we return with truly repentant hearts and minds. I hope we're ready to listen. I hope I'm ready to listen. I hope I'm ready to unlearn some things. That that we are one in Christ. For that to be true, it'll have to be local and personal and practical. I was talking to a friend this week, and she was at a protest. And um, she said she saw the protesting happen, and she saw she's white, and she saw four African-American women just sitting on the grass. And she went over, and she said, would you mind if I sat, would sit down with you? And they said, sure. And so they, she, they talked, and she listened, and they just had fellowship together. And she said that, you know, somewhere during their time, she looked at each one of them and she said, your life matters. Now, that doesn't change everything. That doesn't fix everything. That, that, does, that didn't even make her feel better about herself. But, but what she was able to do in, in some practical way is say, yeah, black lives matter. That's a big theoretical truth. But personally, your life matters. If it's not personal... If it's not local, if it's not practical, then what is it? It's theoretical, and we can write many more books about it, but nothing will ever change. You and I are not called individually to change the world. When I was 
you know, probably when Jane and I were married 34 years ago, you know, I'm coming out of college filled with the Holy Spirit and missionary zeal. I'm like, I'm out to change the world. I mean, next Apostle Paul, roughly. Well, you know, it didn't work out that way. We're not called to change the world in that big grand sense. What we're called to is live a transforming life in Jesus wherever he plants us. I, I, this is bizarre, but I have to, I can't remember your name. We met beforehand. What's your name? Megan, yeah. I just met Megan. She just moved here. During worship, I looked over. I saw you. The Lord gave me uh, Psalm 37, 3 for you. And it says this, dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. And I think it just hit me now because I saw you and I remembered I was supposed to give that to you at the beginning of the message. But but also, and so the Lord says to you, this is, a, this is a place of his faithfulness, and you have befriended faithfulness in the past. You've cultivated faithfulness. Now faithfulness is going to be a good friend to you, and the Lord's going to be rich to you during this time. I, I really believe that, Psalm 37, 3. But, you know, the, the reason that hits me with holy goose, ghost, ghost, goose, <laughs> spirits, <laughs> tingles, <laughs> Holy Goose is probably the name of a beer or something. (sighs) Is because it's what we're called to do, right? As people dwell in the land. Dwell where he planted you. And there, cultivate faithfulness. Befriend faithfulness. Let faithfulness have its work in and through your life so that what we talk about and preach about, love and power of God, biblical oneness, unity, reconciliation, it gets worked out life on life. It, it, get, it gets worked out, you know, right in the flesh, in the screw-ups, in the, in, the, in the offense, and in the forgiveness, and in the understanding, and at some point in the embrace, <laughs> if we ever get back to that. Where the world that we're called to, to change begins with the person that you work with, the person that you work for, the person that you lead, the person that you, you, you live with or next to, your neighbor, the person that you buy groceries from, the person who helps to service your car or your lawn, the, the, the person that you teach or are taught by. The world is the person right in front of you. And that's where we're called to live out our oneness. It is real easy to live out biblical oneness with people you've never met, (laughs) right? Oh, yeah, I love those people over there. Great. Until they're right up in your face, offending you, stepping on your rights, making you angsty. Ephesians 4, I, 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 I knew we'd get to the Bible. Ephesians 4, 1 to 6, this is the word of the Lord to us this morning. Paul writing to the church in Ephesus, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And here's how we do it. The calling's oneness, maturity, but in our context today, oneness, you'll hear it. Here's how we're meant to to walk that calling out with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Why? Why can we do that? There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. There's a biblical call and practical outworking of oneness right there. We are called to live in the reality of our oneness as people of God, as followers of Jesus, all different colors and nationalities, all different races. We're called to live out our oneness in all humility. I I could do a whole message on humility. I won't. Seems kind of prideful. But I'll tell you what humility is not. Humility is not shrinking back and fearful. 
Humility is standing forth in the truth of who you are with love. Controlled strength is a picture of humility. That's Jesus. If you imagine Jesus, you know, laying down all that he, uh, that God had given him, sort of laying aside all the rights of divinity, he laid it down. That's humility. It's not that he wasn't powerful. His power was under control. That's humility. Think about that the next time you do anything. (laughs) True humility is power only given to us by another, God himself, and controlled by him. Humility is a willingness to learn. Humility is a willingness to be wrong. Humility is a willingness to say to another person, you know, I could be wrong which means something that you personally say to me could change my opinion. Humility allows for the holding of an opinion. Opinions are awesome. There's 58 billion opinions in the world. But humility means we hold our opinions loosely. Our opinions are not our gods. If our opinions are our gods, we have no God. We certainly are not serving the one true God. Humility is holding an opinion, but loosely. And before you say, oh, yeah, humility, I got that one. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not pig-headed. I'm willing to be wrong. Before you say, that's, that's not me. Randy, you're not talking to me. I just want you to hear this. I'm talking to you. I'm talking to me. If you have a they in your life, you need humility. Do you know what I mean by that? I know, know, you know, they're always, who are they? They, in our context these days, they are the bad guys. They are whoever disagrees with what you hold so strongly. If you have a they in your life and you see them popping up, they are there to tell you to be humble and listen and be willing to learn. Think of Jesus, you know, he gave up his God-given power and authority to walk with man and, and woman. And he gave up his rights over and over and over again. You know, the Bible says that Jesus was tempted in every way like us, but without sin. I think some of the temptations of Jesus we never see because I think there's, a tempta- there's got to be. Sometime a temptation of Jesus is like, God, I just want to, I could really give it to this one. Can you imagine having all that power and the humility to choose not to use it when you are the son of God and you know that you know that you know? Not only do you have the truth, you are the truth. And what does he do? He gives up his rights. Oh, I'm, I give up my rights all the way down to you can take this body and kill it. So there's humility. We're called to live out this biblical oneness with gentleness in your speech, in your attitude, in your manner, in your tone. I'm really uh, impacted by tone. You know that? You're just, you hear a tone in someone, you're like, oh, it's a tone, right? I, I think the Holy Spirit in us and the fruit of the Spirit coming out of us, love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I think that would have impact on our tone towards people. It doesn't mean we can't be loud. It doesn't mean we can't be bold. But the tone is the tone of love. Think 1 Corinthians 13. All the stuff we can do, but if we have not love, we're a clanging thing or what do we call it? Bang. Bad tone. Symbol. Thank you. Think of your tone. The tone is meant to be love. Humility, gentleness, patience. Do you know what the Greek word for patience actually means? Patience. That's what it actually means. Like, you're going to keep doing the same thing, and I'm going to choose to keep going. You're going to have your opinion. It's going to be different than mine, but I'm going to keep loving you. We're going to see this differently, but I'm going to keep loving you. You're going to offend me, but I'm going to keep loving you. 
I'm going to offend you. I may not even know it, and I'm going to choose to keep loving you. Patience. Also can have the meaning endurance, constancy, steadfastness, perseverance. In the King James, long-suffering. Paul says, here's how we live out our oneness in Christ, bearing with one another in love, which I can just take to mean putting up with people, whoever they are, wherever they are, and whoever they come across as. And remaining, it says, bearing with one another in love. Bearing with is much different than bearing against. Bearing against equals grudge. We all have them. Leave, leave them at the door. Put them in the garbage on your way out. They, they, don't, they don't give us any life. But he says, bearing with one another in love. Standing with one another in love. Choosing to sit down with someone who's different than you in, in skin color, in race, in origin, in viewpoint, in political ideology. Uh-oh. In COVID-19 protocol. And saying, I'm willing to listen until I understand. And I can articulate so that whatever you're going through, I can bear it with you. How can I bear with someone if I'm not with someone? How do you, how do, you do that? Who has God called you in this context of reconciliation and biblical oneness? Who has call, God called you to bear with in love? And if it's someone who looks and talks and speaks and believes exactly like you, that's fine. But, they're, but I think... Paul must be talking about some other people here. Otherwise, he wouldn't spend so much time saying humble, gentle, patient. Right? What he's telling us is when you get triggered, don't let your trigger go out. Right? Don't react. So he's assuming there are people that are going to trigger you. If all we do is avoid the people that trigger us, we'll never learn love. So I wrote in my notes, what would it look like for me as a middle-class white male to bear with my friends of color today? I don't have an answer yet. But I want to learn that. I want to keep learning that. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The Holy Spirit creates peace. So Paul says, be eager to maintain the, the Spirit of unity in the bond of peace or the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. You know, the beauty of that verse is that that means we, as humans, do not have to create unity. We don't have to make it, as if somehow if we all get the different colors and the creeds and everything, get it all together, then, look, we're unified. We can't do that. The Spirit of God does that. The blood of Jesus did that. We are called to steward unity, and those are completely different things. To be a steward of unity is to say, I'm going to avoid bringing division. I'm going to walk with humility. I'm going to speak with gentleness. I'm going to care for others with patience. I'm going to learn what it means to bear with others that are different than me in love. We can live out the reality of our oneness because Paul says, remember, there's one body one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Not a black body or a white body. Not a Latino spirit or a white Lord. Not a Republican faith or a Democratic baptism. I'm just filling in today's words. One. Somehow God has done this, and we're empowered by the Holy Spirit to walk it out. That's our challenge for today. Galatians 3, 26 to 28, Paul writing to another church so in Christ Jesus, you're all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is, this is strange the way he says this, there is now neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul is not saying that there can't be a person who is a male and a person who is a female. Clearly, he's not saying that. 
He's not saying, you know, we're all homogenous and just pretend that that's all not there. He's talking about a spiritual reality. In the family, there is just one. To say that, you know, that there's no difference is to ignore reality. That's fantasy. We're different, but we're one. Like the Trinity. I'm going to take the next minute and explain to you the Trinity. Thanks for your laughing. Glad you realized that was a joke. The distinct persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they have, they're different persons, different personalities, different functions, but they're one. They're in relationship with one another, but distinct, but not separated, because at their core, there's unity. And, when, and, and I think until Jesus returns, we'll be working that out. What does it look like for all these different diverse people to be one, celebrating difference and diversity, but not letting difference and diversity divide us because we're one. Because you're me. I'm you. We're one body. And finally, Paul says, here's how this can all be so, because there is one God and Father who is over all and through all and in all. He's overall, meaning there's no person connected to Jesus outside of God's sovereign love and care, which means every person of faith, no matter their, their color, their origin, their race, is loved by that God and is family. There are no stepchildren in the kingdom. Well, except to the extent that we are. I mean, we're all, we've all been grafted in in some way. Purely loved by God. There's one God and Father through all, meaning that there's no believer who cannot be a vessel of the Father's love, wisdom, power, and grace. Next time you come to someone who's very different than you and you have feelings, I would just love it if what was ringing in your head is, oh, one God and Father over all, through all, in all. That means this person sitting before me is a vessel of God's love and God's power and God's wisdom into my life. Wouldn't that perspective change our tone and our manner if we could really sit down with that reality? One God and Father who is in all, meaning there's no follower of Jesus without God's transforming presence within them. Colossians 3. Paul really likes this because he says it three different times to three different churches. Here, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian. Any Scythians in here? <laughs> Slave or free. But Christ is all and is in all. That's what makes us one. So the question is, what can you do today, practically, locally, personally, to agree with the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace? What can you do? Maybe there's a theological way you need to reconstruct things in your, in your thought process. I'm happy to help with that. Maybe emotionally you recognize you are not one that pursues peace, but you recognize you enjoy causing division. Think about social media. Think about news outlets. Do you enjoy that? Is there something in you that just loves to see that stirred? Give that to Jesus. Spiritually, I'm just saying what Paul says in Ephesians 4. I'm going to say it more boldly with English words. Grow up. That's what Paul says. I mean, it's really what he says. Grow up. I don't, need, I don't think he says it like a stern, mean father with all sorts of expectations. I, say, I think he says it as a loving father. Grow up. Please. It's, what, it's like his plea to the church. In every one of his letters, please, grow up. Grow into the reality of your oneness as a body. Grow in love. That's where your root is. That's where you were grounded. That's your calling. Grow up in love. Take responsibility for who you are and what you need to do to listen, to unlearn, to relearn, 
to walk in humility, patience, gentleness. I'm calling you today to own your life. This is what I realized real personally. As COVID-19 was happening and I'm having all my feelings and then the, 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 the reality of our, the racism that's still so existent and prevalent in our country rears its head again and splashes everywhere. And I realize I'm tired. I don't know if I can. I, do I have it? Just let this one go, and I can't. I gotta grow up. I gotta own my life. You apply it to yourself. I'll speak to you about me for right now. I gotta. I gotta own where I came from. I gotta own what I learned growing up. I've gotta own my own gifting and calling, and my own wounds, and my own predispositions, and my own comfort level. I've gotta own all that. I've got to own my apathy. I've got to own my anger. I've got to own my fear. I've got to own my mind and my influences. I've got to own my impact, the power of my words. I've got to own it all, and you have to own it all so that you can give it back to Jesus. Because you can't really give back to Jesus what you haven't owned. Right? Do you, do you understand that? I mean, there's a sense of we can't just deny where we've come from and, and all the stuff that's gone before. We've got to say, okay, God, I, I own it. I grew up in a small town in western Pennsylvania where no African Americans lived, period. I went to a school until eighth grade. In eighth grade, there was one African American in my class. I went from that private school to a public school. Never had an African-American person. Never had an Hispanic in, in the school I grew up. That's not sin, right? But does it impact the way I live in the world? Sure. Then I went to a, a college, a university, with a whopping 2% of other nationalities. Well, that's, we got to own it so that we can take all that and give it back to Jesus and say, Jesus, now... Would you transform that, please? Because I want to live in biblical oneness. Because I want to really learn how to live. Because I want to know true humility. I want to understand real patience. I want to really be gentle. I want to really know what it means to bear with another in love. If I can't own it, I can't give it to Jesus. And if I don't give it to Jesus, he can't change it. And if he doesn't change it, I cannot go into the world and say, I'm given anything of real value. We said it a couple weeks ago. Pentecost begins here. Fire of the Holy Spirit right here. So what's Jesus saying to you today? To take your next step into the reality of our oneness as a people. Do you need to build some relationships, take some risks? Talk to people. Ask questions. Do you need to speak what's really in your heart in a place where you can be listened to and understood and challenged? Otherwise, all of our talk is just circumstance. If heart to heart, we're not engaged with one another. Nancy and the band, do you guys want to? I think they're. I think, I think they're going to send us out with the song. Lynn, I'm going to have you come up. I think they're going to send us out with a song. Um, you want to get your communion elements. Uh, I think everyone in here has communion next to them. We've got elements here. For those uh, watching, you can gather your communion. What I'm going to do is. Just lead us in this time of remembering the body and the blood of Jesus, and then I will, I will bless you, and I will just let the, the song that we sing, the blessing at the end, to be our, our exit music, and I trust you to 
exit, take in all the worship and worship, but, uh, you know, as we close to, to, to walk out. Families that have kids in children's ministry, if you could just go right back the way you came to collect your children, and we'll keep our six feet and honor everyone well. Psalm 139, 23, and 24. The psalmist says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. As you look at this bread in front of you, remember that we are one body. It was one body given for us, the body of Christ, that paid for our sin and brings us into union with him. So take the body of Christ. Remember, too, that we come from one blood. And it's the blood of the righteous one that atones for our sin, destroying division and establishing spiritual unity. And now, Lord, I ask that as we receive your body and your blood, that you begin again the work of renewal within us. Transform us, Jesus. Take every part that causes any offense to you and bring it into alignment with the reality of our union in Christ with you and with one another for the glory of Jesus.